0: This fall, as we begin our new church schedule with all the different activities, we'll also begin a new sermon series on Paul's letter to the Philippians. We began the calendar year of 2023 uh, by working through the early chapters of Genesis um, together, um, looking at the stories of Cain and Abel and Seth and Noah and Enoch, and we spent the summer together um, in the Psalms. And so this fall, um, having spent a great deal of time in the Old Testament, we'll return now uh, to the New Testament and consider Paul's letter to the Philippians, um, a short letter um, that is often described as one of Paul's most personal and practical um, of all his epistles that he wrote. Now, I don't know what your familiarity is with Philippians. Perhaps um, some of you may know it very well. You may have studied it before. Or heard a um, sermon series on it before. Um, some of you may just have a vague idea um, of the content of this letter. Maybe you have know some of the phrases or verses. But uh, the first thing we're going to do, just to kind of put us all on the same uh, playing field, so to speak, as we step together into the world of Philippians this fall, is I'm going to spend most of our time together this morning in the sermon just reading to you the entirety um, of this letter, of this epistle, all four chapters, all four chapters. Uh, Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, um, exhorts him as a young pastor to be committed um, to three things, to preaching and to teaching the Word of God, but also to the public reading of God's Word. Um, That is one of the things Paul enjoins upon Timothy. And indeed, I think there is something that is helpful, uniquely helpful, and powerful about hearing large portions of God's Word read publicly. Um, It's interesting um, in the Scriptures Um, several occasions when God's word was read at length in public settings in the time of Josiah and in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, it led to widespread revival and reform of the people of God. Um, Just simply reading God's word aloud at length um, before his people. We're used to encountering the scriptures, of course, in small bite-sized portions, and I think this has certainly become even more true in our Modern world, Um, but it's valuable also to hear a whole book all at once to get a sense of the argument that it is making. And of course, this is how uh, the original recipients of Philippians would have heard this letter Uh, read aloud all at once. It's not as though they had their own copies that they took home. They came to church and heard it read to them. So, as you hear Philippians this morning, I want to give you a few things. To keep in mind as we listen to this letter together. First, you should know that Paul is writing this letter from prison. Um, He is almost certainly, well we know he's definitely in prison, and almost certainly he's in prison in Rome. Um, Note as you listen to the letter, Paul's references to the imperial guard and to Caesar's household. Um, He is almost certainly in Rome awaiting his trial around the year 60 AD, as he writes Philippians. Um, This means that Philippians is probably the second to last of Paul's letters in the New Testament, uh, 2 Timothy probably being his last. And as such, it reveals in a unique way the fruit of his 30 years now, 30 years since Damascus, 30 years since his conversion and baptism, 30 years of faithfully following in the way of his Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as Paul writes this letter, he is on trial for his life. Um, he 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 is accused of significant charges, charges of sedition and treason against Caesar and against Rome. And he knows that it is possible, if not even likely, Um, that he will soon die, and almost certainly he does soon die. Philippians has a poignant air about it as you read it. Paul is regularly speaking to um, his readers of the possibility of his death, and you can tell that he loves them. He's speaking to them of his death because he cares about them, and, he, and he is, he's sad and yet also um, has, has conflicting feelings about the fact that he may die. He hopes that he will see them again, but he does not know. The letter has some of the character of a kind of final instructions, a final will and testament from an aged pastor, which Paul is at this point, to a beloved congregation, men and women and children whom he knows and loves. Paul, of course, planted the church in Philippi, as we heard in our New Testament reading this morning. He um, was the one who preached the gospel to them in the first place. Now, this is also something that sets the letter to the Philippians apart from other of Paul's epistles. Paul is not writing to the Philippians in response to some significant doctrinal error or problem or conflict, that they are experiencing. It is not a letter of correction, as Galatians or 1 Corinthians or others of his letters are. Rather, he's writing this letter as an act of encouragement and, notably, of gratitude. Because the church in Philippi has recently supported him, they have shown, Paul says, koinonia, fellowship with him, by giving him a substantial financial gift that was brought to Paul by one of their own pastors Epaphroditus. And this was important. This wasn't just like, oh, this is a nice thing that they did. This was an essential thing that the Philippians had done for Paul. In the ancient world, prisoners of the Roman state were not provided with a food or clothing or blankets or anything that they might require to stay alive. The Roman state did not much care whether they stayed alive until their trial. And so if you were going to survive in prison in the Roman state, you were entirely dependent on others outside of prison for your well-being, for food, for clothing, for blankets, for uh, pen and, and ink, and all of those things. And Paul, due to his baptism as a Christian and his abandonment of Judaism, had lost his family connections He had no one in terms of biological family to count on. He was completely dependent upon the church, upon his Christian siblings. And the Philippians have stepped into that void and are caring generously for Paul's needs. They are literally keeping him alive in Rome that he might continue to follow in the way of Jesus. And so Paul writes the church in Philippi. He thanks them for their gift he instructs them in that way of Jesus, and he encourages them in their life together. Now, there is much that we could say about themes and emphases in the letter to the Philippians, and we'll certainly do that as we walk through it together in the weeks ahead. But as you listen now to Paul's words, there's one theme, one emphasis in Paul's letter that I want you to listen out for in particular. Listen to how often Paul, in his very last days, imprisoned in Rome, talks in this letter about joy. Joy. It is one of the most distinctive things about the letter to the Philippians, how frequently Paul speaks about joy, how frequently he exhorts his readers to rejoice, how frequently he tells them that he is rejoicing and that he wants them to rejoice with him. Paul's emphasis on joy in this letter to the Philippians is completely incongruent by kind of worldly expectations of how he might feel. For 30 years now, three decades, Paul has followed Jesus, and his life in those years has been more or less an unmitigated sequence of suffering. That's what it's been like for 30 years. He has been homeless. He has been imprisoned. He's been hated, he's been abandoned um, by people who once cared for him and loved him. He's been humiliated, he's been shipwrecked, and he has been, as he says in this letter, suffered the loss of all things. And that's not hyperbole on Paul's part. His parents and siblings have almost certainly disowned him because of his walking in the way of Jesus. And we know that he has no wife or children Um, He is alone. And yet, in the midst of all these things, Paul is speaking again and again about joy. The whole letter drips with joy. The joy that Paul speaks about in Philippians is not optimism, it is not mere happy feelings, it's something deeper than that. Paul is praying for the Philippians with joy, he says. He is rejoicing. That Christ is preached in Rome even by his rivals. He says that he will rejoice whether he lives or dies at Caesar's hand. And in fact, he can't make up his mind which one would be better. He asks the Philippians to complete his joy by walking together in the way of Jesus in unity and love. He tells his readers that they should not be discouraged but rejoice in his imprisonment because God is using it, he says, to advance the gospel and kingdom of Christ. He describes the Philippians as his crown and his joy. He delights in them. And several times Paul tells the Philippians straight out and us as well, he says to them, rejoice. And not only rejoice, he says Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul says that several times in this letter. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. And again, I will say, rejoice. Now that preposition is so important. Paul does not simply say a bare command. He doesn't just say, rejoice. Hey, rejoice over there. No, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. That is, rejoice in communion with, in union with, in participation with your Lord Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, I know that many of us might look at our lives and the real suffering that we bear. It can be difficult to hear a command like, hey, rejoice, Rejoice, whatever it is you're experiencing, rejoice. But what I want you to see is that that's not what Paul's doing here. What Paul is doing is pointing to a reality that joy is not so much, so much something that we do as something that we tap into. In particular, we re- as we rejoice as Christians, we tap into the joy of someone else. We tap into the joy of our Lord. The joy of our risen and ascended Christ. And and make no mistake, beloved, the reason that we do this is because our Lord, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, is overwhelmingly full of joy. He is joyful at his Father's right hand. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross and despised its shame. Jesus rejoices at this very moment, friends, most of all because of his love of his father. Because his father loves him and he enjoys unbroken fellowship and communion with his father. Jesus rejoices also because he has broken the power of Satan and sin and death. He has overcome, as he tells his disciples, Jesus rejoices also because all over the world, just as he intended, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in the name of Jesus Christ, even as it was this morning in this sanctuary. And Jesus rejoices because of that. Jesus rejoices as well because he knows that his kingdom is coming soon and that all things have a good end. And so when Paul instructs his readers to rejoice in the Lord, he is telling them that just as Christ is their life, Christ is also their joy. And it is through their union with Jesus that joyful freedom is offered to them, not only in the life to come, not only as a future inheritance, but actually here, right now, in this life, in this prison cell, in this circumstance of suffering, Whatever that circumstance may be, joy is theirs in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says again and again, rejoice in the Lord. As I read Philippians now this morning, you're certainly welcome to follow along in your Bible if you'd like to. But if you're able, I would encourage this. I'd encourage you just to close your Bible, to put away your notebook and just listen. Listen and see what God's word might do as you hear it read. Beloved, God's word is more precious than gold. It's the most valuable thing in your life. It is sweeter than honey. It is sweeter even than the drippings of the honeycomb. Listen to it now. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy, For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. For me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit... Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ's. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I shortly myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has caught reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature Think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many... Of whom I have often told you, and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Synecdoche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God Think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern. I'm sorry, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thus far, the reading of God's word. It is absolutely true, and it is given to you because your Father in heaven loves you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed Lord, you've caused all the holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Now by your Spirit, Grant us the grace to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this portion of your word that we might hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.